Would you pray with me? Father, I, I confess today that I do not deserve all the wonderful things that you've given me in life. I certainly don't deserve the grand privilege of being part of a family like this. Cheerful voices raised in praise, hoping for the future about to change the world. Father, you've been gracious to every single one of us to bring us here to uh, give us the grand privilege of associating with an institution of Christian higher learning, with Christians, with so many people with different skills, skills that come from you. Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we want to worship you today as the one true God of monotheism. We want to worship you as we have just done in song. We want to worship you in prayer. We want to worship you in our confession. We want to worship you as we carefully attend to your word. And we want to worship you with our lives as we go out from this place and as your image bearers in the world, we want to participate in the advancement of your kingdom today. Would you bless our time as we look at Job 42, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, I want to give a translation, kind of an interpretive translation of the first six verses of Job 42. Job answered Yahweh and said, I know that you can do anything and that no purpose that comes from you can be thwarted. You rebuked me when you said, Who is this who darkens my counsel without any idea of what he's talking about? I conclude that you are right. I conclude, agreeing with your words, quote, I have uttered what I do not understand, wonderful things that I do not know. You said, Hear now and I will speak, and I will ask you and instruct, I will ask you and you instruct me, I had heard about you before, but now I have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. May God bless the reading of his word. This morning, we are ending our time together in the book of Job. I was delighted when Scott assigned me 
or ask if I would be willing to present this last chapter in Job. I was delighted. I began thinking of it then. I've uh, thought about it for months since then, and I'm delighted as we jump in today and look at these verses. And the question that I want us to think about this morning as we worship God through our attention to his word is, what does God want me to learn from this book? What does God want me to learn and to tremble at in terms of his word? And I want to offer three brief thoughts this morning. And the first is this, this very passage. I know that you can do anything because no plan from you can be thwarted. After all the suffering, after all the misery, after all the debate, the truth that pressed itself on Job was this, God is right. God is right and God can do whatever he is purposed to do. The result is Job repents. He says he despises himself. You may, if you've sat in many of my classes, know that uh, that uh, text is picked up in Ezekiel 36, part of the New Covenant promises. Job is doing that here. He recognizes the graciousness of God, the truth of God's words, the wisdom of God's ways, the power of God's purpose. Job recognized that God is God and that Job wasn't God and that God knew things Job didn't know and that God can do what Job can't. That was the lesson that Job came away with after all that happened to him in the book of Job. And I want you to listen to some similar verses in the Bible that talk about that kind of power. This is Jesus, Matthew 19, 26. It says these words. Jesus, carefully looking at them, said, with human beings, this is impossible. But all things are possible with God. Job somehow in his suffering, was wrestling with the uncomfortable truth that whatever God wants to do, he can do, and that no one can frustrate God's purpose in the world. No one can stop his will. No one can resist his will. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. God does all things that delight him Things like taking simple people and making them wise. God loves to do that. It's never going to happen naturally, but God loves to to take the simple and overturn the wise. God loves to bless the spiritually bankrupt. Jesus says in the beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Impossible things like God transforming the lives 
of ordinary people to make them men and women of whom the cosmos is not worthy. God loves to do that. God delights to do that. Whatever God delights, he can do. Isaiah 46.10, God says of himself, I'm the one declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet, saying, my counsel will stand. I will accomplish everything I delight in. Same book, 43.13, also, henceforth I am he, and there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Job, through his tears and his pain, began to realize that his conception of God was different from the reality of God. Perhaps the most amazing passage, a similar passage in the Bible, is in Genesis 18. Yahweh, speaking of himself, says this, Is anything impossible with Yahweh? He looks at Sarah, this postmenopausal woman. He looks at her hundred-year-old husband, and he utters these words: "At this time, I will return, and at the proper time of life, there will be a son for Sarah." There's no way that was ever going to happen. Sarah's womb was dead. There was no way that her body could ever form a human being. It's not going to happen. And God said, it is going to happen. It's going to happen because I say it's going to happen. Job needed to learn that. Job had superstitious beliefs about God. And what he really needed to know was that God was absolutely in control and that nothing was happening to him that wasn't somehow being used to orchestrate good in Job's life. Now, Satan is evil. And Job 1 and 2 knows that Satan is evil. What Satan did was evil. It was wicked. It was perverse. And the Bible is crystal, crystal clear that God is going to punish Satan for every wicked, every evil thing that he did. In fact, Revelation uses uh, the phrase of his punishment tormented day and night into an eternity of eternities. Satan will receive complete and total justice for every wicked thing that he ever thought, every wicked thing he ever said, every wicked thing he ever did. And that includes the heinous, wicked, evil that he did to Job. 
But the evil free will of Satan cannot stop God's purpose for good in Job's life. God can strike a straight line with a crooked stick. And God had a purpose in Job's horrible suffering. Job really didn't know what it was. Job probably never understood what it was. But God had a purpose for the wicked darkness of Satan. And God's let there be light had a purpose for the darkness, a purpose to contrast the beauty of the light. And it's a purpose for good. Now, I know that when Job suffered, it didn't feel good when Job was crying his eyes out. It didn't feel like it was good when the dogs were licking his sores. It didn't feel like good when his know-nothing friends theologized about how Job was getting what he deserved. It didn't feel good when his wife the love of his youth, came to him and said, just curse God and die. It didn't feel good when every one of Job's children died. It didn't feel good when he lost his fortune. It didn't feel good when years of faithfulness seemed to be repaid by rejection from God. But in those dark days, God had a purpose Job didn't know it fully, but God had a purpose. Satan meant it for evil. And God was using Satan's freely willed evil to accomplish the very opposite of what Satan wanted. That's the first thing that Job learned. You know, for years as a preacher and uh, many more years as a college professor, uh, I have spent my time trying to understand what what God's Word says, and after many, many, many years, I realized that I was making a, a fundamental mistake in what I was doing. And that fundamental mistake is that not only must the preacher study carefully God's Word, but the preacher must study carefully the needs of his audience. Uh, The the same exegesis of God's word uh, that a teacher of God's word needs to exegete the lives of the people around him or around her and to ask the question, what does that truth mean for us today? And I want to ask that question. I've been thinking about that question for a long time. And I can say this morning that for you, I pray that your life goes from one sunlit morning to the next. I pray that your marriages will all be perfect. I pray that your children will be exceptional and that your household never sees the first moment of problem. I pray that you have perfect health. I pray that uh, your job is a job where you wake up in the morning and you, you can't wait to get there. I pray that your job is one where when you're going to have time off, you're kind of sad that you're not going to get to 
do the thing that God created you to do. I, I pray that for you. I pray all those things for you. But the truth is, that's probably not all going to happen for you. The truth is, there are probably going to be really good days in your life. Days that, I mean, you just can't believe the good in those days. And there are going to be other days that are, that are horrible days. There are going to be days where you lie awake at night in your bed and you're crying your eyes out and you're wondering, God, why? Why is this happening to me? For some of you, there are going to be pain in your life that I can't even imagine. And this is what God's word wants you to know. That God is the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. And that no purpose of his can be thwarted. God wants you to know that those wicked, evil, painful, perverse things that Satan has introduced into the world through Adam's free-willed rebellion, that all of those things are going to be set right one day. All of those things will be used to accomplish and to declare the righteousness of God. All those things in spite of the wicked plans, the wicked deeds, the wicked actions of Satan, all those things will accomplish a people who love God to the core of their being, a people who love God enough to freely choose to obey Him and to walk in His ways, a people with, with a heart, the new covenant heart, the transformed new covenant heart of Jesus, and who will love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. The day may come for you when you're crying your eyes out in darkness at night. But know this, if you are a child of God, the day will come when even that is used by God to get you to the place of your total, total delight and love for God. Job couldn't see it when it was happening. He saw it at the end. We may not be able to see it when it's happening, but we're going to see it at the end. That's my first point. The second one is this. What happens in the world is this. God is answering the accusations of Satan. When you look at the totality of the book of Job, it uh, the idea is this, the whole world is a stage. That's a famous sta- uh, saying, and it's more true than we realize. Job learned that God was accomplishing his purpose. And well, what was that purpose? Well, one part of it was this. God was proving the accusation, the lies of Satan, to be just what they were, lies. Job never knew that. Job never knew that there had been a conversation between Satan and God. Job never knew that Satan had said, Job only serves you because you, you have a 
hedge of protection around his life. Job only serves you because the stuff you give Job. And God says, that's a lie. That's a lie. And I'm going to prove it's a lie. Think about the lies in Scripture that Satan has told. Satan says to Eve, did God really say? Greg Beale points out, and I I think he's right here, that the very first sin, not, not the original sin of Adam, but the things that are happening before that takes place, the very first sin is someone doubting the truth of what was revealed to them as God's word. Have you ever thought about that? That's the very first sin in the Bible. Did God really say? To put it another way, you can say it this way. What God said is not true. You can't trust it. You can't trust God If you put your lot in with God, it's not going to turn out well for you. If you seek God's rule and his reign in your life, you'll suffer, you'll lose for it. And it's a lie. It's a lie that says God somehow is not good. God somehow doesn't have your best interest in mind. That God's way will not lead to wisdom and prosperity and happiness and virtue and truth. God, the ultimate lie, God isn't really worth it. That was the heart of the very first lie, and it came from the father of lies. But God will not have that accusation stand in the world. God, because he is so in love with truth, he is truth, he is light. He can't stand for that accusation to stand, so he's going to prove it false. The whole Bible, the whole story of history is the grand theater of God, and God is showing in that theater that his words are true. God's showing that the words of Satan are false. Job didn't know anything about that, but God did. Job's life, Job's character, Job's conversations were all part of that grand purpose of God to show forth the truth. Job didn't realize it. For Job, it felt like it was just him. For Job, it felt like he was alone. For Job, it just felt like pain. And his pain would have nothing to do with the grand meta-narrative revelation of God in history. Job didn't get that. God got that. God was showing something in Job's life. He was showing it to Job. He was showing it to Satan. He was showing it to the people of Job's day. He was showing it to Job's theologically misguided friends. And ultimately, he's showing it to us for all eternity. God did have a grand theme. There is a meta-narrative to the Bible, 
There is a meta-narrative to all human suffering. God knows and God is accomplishing things despite the wickedness and rebellion of the world. This was part of that lie. This was part of Satan's lie. Job will only follow you because you bless him. The book of Job proves that Satan lied. You see, Satan didn't know something that God knew. And what God knew was that God had given Job a new heart. That God had taken away his heart of stone and given him a heart of flesh. That God had worked faith in Job's life. And it was that heart that believed. It was that faith that could say, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. It was that faith that said, though I die, I know that in my flesh, my eyes will see my Redeemer on the earth. Satan lied, and God proved that Satan lied, and that everything he said was a lie. Job wasn't responding to God because what God could give. He was responding to God in love because that faith, that new heart, that new outlook, that that being reborn helped him see that God was worth it. It wasn't the stuff that Job wanted. It was God that Job wanted. And God knew that that was going to be true. I want to ask you something this morning. I want to ask you something very candidly this morning. What lies from Satan do you believe? One lie from Satan that we all have believed at one time is that God's not worth it. If you put your lot in with God, it won't work out well for you. We've all believed that lie at one time, and it's just that. It's a lie. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man really finds that treasure, when a person begins to realize exactly who God is and how powerful God is and how great God is and how uh, magnificent God is and how great his reign is, a person, when a person finds that, you know what they do? They go out and sell everything they have for joy so that they can get the rule of God. That's the truth. The lie is if you throw your life in with God, it's not going to be worth it. Another lie that our culture faces is the lie that if you live your life by the sexual guidelines that God puts in his word, that you'll suffer for it. If you live your life according to the the sexual guidelines that God has put in his word, you will suffer for it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie that Satan has been peddling for millennia. And God will prove that it's a lie. 
Don't let Satan steal that from you. The grand lie of all, perhaps, is that I can't change. The grand lie of all that we all face is I have challenges in life. Perhaps those challenges come from DNA or family or opportunity or socioeconomic. And the grand lie is that there's just nothing in the world that I can do about that. I'm stuck with the flaws that I was given with at birth. And it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie that Satan has been peddling year after year after year after year. And God is going to prove that it's a lie through the lives of transformed people. Who's the most sexually pure uh, person in the Old Testament? Would you grant perhaps that it's Boaz? Boaz says his heart was merry with wine. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's smitten in love with this this girl, uh, Ruth. And she comes to him at night. Device of Naomi uncovers his feet, whatever that means, and says, do what you want. If sexual sin is ever going to happen, a half-drunk guy in the middle of nowhere smitten in love, it's going to happen there. And what does Boaz say? It's not right. There's somebody else who has a right to marry you. If he says no, we'll be married tomorrow at 3 o'clock. But until then, no. That's pretty good for a drunk guy in the middle of nowhere smitten in love with a woman. Would you grant that? Can I get a witness? <laughs> Tell me again who Boaz's mother was. Rahab and did she, Rahab have a profession? Is Rahab's son the one you would think would be the most sexually pure? Maybe him and Joseph. Maybe it's a toss-up there. But no. God is the God who breaks the power of canceled sin. Don't believe Satan's lie. My time's gone. I pray that God will bless this. I pray that we will believe these truths and be a part of God's army that changes the world.